So if you'd open your Bibles to John chapter 1, we're going through presently through the gospel according to John. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week. For the men, concerning the breakaway, last year we had a bus and uh, the church provided lunch and everything. This year there's not going to be a bus. So um, when you're signing up, keep that in mind that you'll have to carpool down. It's at the same location. So we just want to kind of get an idea of what interest there is. Uh, you know, it's a little bit harder if you're, you know, it's easy when you just get on a bus and we're all fellowshipping together. And so we just kind of want to see where you guys are at. I know it's hard for a lot of the men, you know, you work your 40 hours plus a week and you get Saturdays off. And I understand it's hard to get away, but it's available. The information will be up and coming concerning that. Let's pray once more before we get into the word. Father, we pray, as we always do, Lord, it's your word. It's not man's opinion. It's your word. It's been inspired. The writers were inspired by you. We're told in the one translation that the scripture is God-breathed. We pray, Lord Jesus, that as we, your disciples, <laughs> far from the events that took place so long ago, and yet you remain the same. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us life application as we study your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were with us last week, you know that uh, John the Baptist, of course, he was out in the wilderness. He was baptizing people. Why would he do that? Well, he was preparing people for the one that would come, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus. He was preparing them for his coming. Baptism doesn't save anyone. Christian baptism doesn't save anyone. Salvation is through faith alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You could be dipped in water all the days of your life and it will never wash away one sin. But the blood of Jesus washes away your sin once and for all. We saw this last week. John the Baptist, he's out there baptizing, and he sees Jesus coming toward him, and he speaks out to those gathered, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes with us in the world. Well, that was the day before our text today. Our text today begins in verse 35. And it says, again, the next day, John, that's John the Baptist, with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked. So Jesus now is walking. He's not coming toward them. If he was coming toward them, then it wouldn't make sense that the disciples left John to follow Jesus. So, so Jesus is apparently walking by. Maybe he's walking across or walking away. And John the Baptist is there with two of his disciples, and he says, once again, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? What a great question. You know, guys, when you read the scripture, if you want the scripture to come alive, you really got to 
you really got to ponder the things that you're reading. You got to think about the things that you're reading. We don't just read it like any other book. We're, we're reading about biblical events that took place. We're, we're reading about here in our text today two of Jesus' first disciples, and we're learning that two of his first disciples happened to be disciples of John the Baptist. So that tells you something. In fact, guys, when we see these two disciples of Jesus, first John, then Jesus, we need to understand that this took place before that which we read in Mark's gospel account when Jesus is walking by the sea, by the shore of the Galilee, and he sees there Peter and Andrew in their boat, and they've been fishing And he comes along and he says, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. This that we're reading today, that we're studying today, happened before that. So this tells us something that we need to consider as well. When Jesus did call Peter and Andrew, and then a little bit further down, James and John, as they were mending the nets, that wasn't the first time they met Jesus. Apparently, this is the first time they met Jesus. So two of the disciples, they're with John. They hear John say, once again, behold the Lamb of God. And they leave John, they depart from John, and they begin to follow Jesus. Now guys, if John was not aware of his ministry, you remember the purpose of his ministry? To bear witness of him. Of who? Of Christ. If he wasn't aware of his ministry, It would be disheartening. You'd be thinking, what's happening? Everyone's leaving me, and they're following him. But John was well aware of his calling, of his his, uh, purpose, his ministry. In fact, the fact that they left John to follow Jesus was a fulfillment of John's ministry. John says, he's preferred before me. He was before me. I'm not fit to loose the the straps of his sandals. You know, he's greater than I am. I must decrease. He must increase. I mean, this is what John was saying. And so to see these two disciples, they leave John, they begin to follow Jesus, and they come up behind Jesus. And do you ever think when you're reading the scriptures, how close were they following Was it the type of thing where, you know, Jesus, he senses, you know, you could sense when someone's trailing you. And and maybe he slowed down a little bit, and they slowed down a little bit. Maybe he sped up a little bit, and they start walking a little faster, you know. And and so he turns around, he asks a question, and the question was, what do you seek? You know, it's interesting to note the first recorded words of Jesus in the gospel accounts. We looked at that at the first service. We're not going to look at it at this service for time's sake. But I want to point out that these are the first recorded words of Jesus in John's gospel account. This wasn't the first time Jesus spoke, obviously. This is just simply the first recorded words of Jesus in John's account. And so the question, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? And then we have the second recorded words of Jesus in John's gospel account. And he said to them, come and see. And then John, not John the Baptist, but John the Beloved, the author of this gospel account, he gives us the commentary. He says they came and they saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. 
Now, the next verse goes on to tell us that one of the disciples of John that left to follow was Andrew. Look what it says in verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and follow him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, we found the Messiah, which is translated, translated the Christ. And he brought him, brought Peter, or I'm sorry, that's his new name, brought Simon to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at Simon, he said, you are Simon, son of Jonah, and you shall be called Cephas, translated, which is translated stone. So there's a lot here, and let me unpack this a little bit. Guys, first recorded words of Jesus in John's gospel account, what do you seek? Don't you find it interesting that he didn't say, who do you seek? I think that we need to ask ourselves, what am I seeking? You know, a lot of people, they seem to be pursuing the Lord or, you know, uh, I, I, I want to be careful with the terms that I use, but they're drawing near to the Lord or they're open to the Lord. But many times it's for ulterior motives, you know. Lord, I know that uh, the Bible says you're the prince of peace, so I come to you, I want peace. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. I mean, he, he, he is our peace. He himself is our peace. But if we're coming to him for simply what we could get from him, then there's a problem. What do you seek? Do you seek an easy life? Do you seek even purpose in your life? Do you seek fulfillment, you know, whatever it might be. I was watching a little video last week, and it was a, a baptism at a particular church. I'm not going to mention the church. And, and it was just kind of disturbing because as these people were coming forward to be baptized, the pastor was asking them, why do you want to be baptized? And one after another after another never acknowledged the fact that they were sinners and they needed to be saved, they need to be forgiven of their sins, that Jesus was the answer, Jesus was the only one. It was one after another after another, the people would come forward and they would say things like, I, you know, I want a, a more fulfilling life, or I, I want this, or I want that, and I think that Jesus will give me this, and Jesus will give me that. And I'll tell you guys, in Christ, there are so many things that are added to our life. There's peace, there's fulfillment, there's purpose, there's all these things. But the what needs to be the who. Who do you seek? I seek you, Lord. I seek you, Lord. You're the deliverer. Deliver me from my problems. What if the Lord says, yes, I'm the deliverer, but I'm not going to deliver you from your problems. You're going to go through your problems. Remember what David said, you know, the 23rd Psalm? Everyone knows the 23rd Psalm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't say, uh, <laughs> deliver me from the shadow of death. He says, no, I'll be walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I think of, uh, is it Psalm 81, 82? It talks about another valley, not the valley of the shadow of death, but the valley of Baca. Remember that one? The valley of Baca, the valley of weeping. Lord, as I walk through the valley of Baca, as I walk through the valley of weeping, the psalmist is not saying, keep me from the valley of Baca. Keep me from, no, he says, as I go through this, 
I'll make it springs for the people that follow behind me because they're going to go through the same valley of weeping, the same valley of hardships, of difficulties. And I want to, I want to kind of, you know, do my part in this process. My point is simply this, that we need to ask ourselves from time to time, even those of us who profess to be Christians, what are we seeking? What are we seeking? I mentioned David. David wrote in Psalm 27, verse 4, one thing I desire of the Lord, that will I seek. The word seek, it literally means to strive after. Here it is. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord. That word beauty, it could be rendered splendor or grace. The beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I think David, what a perfect example of what we're looking at today. What do you seek? What do you seek? David, what do you seek? Think of what David gained. Jesse, do you have any more sons? I thought your oldest, he looked good. I thought he would be the one. We've gone through from the oldest to all the children that are here, all your sons that are here. Do you have any others? I'm sure I haven't missed this. It's your sons. One of your sons would sit upon the throne of Israel and reign as king. Do you have any other sons? Well, there was David. I mean, the baby of the family. You know, he's out watching over the sheep. Bring him in. He brings him in, and the Spirit of God says, this is the one. Anoint him. David, he gains so much. David, he becomes the armor bearer of the king of Israel. He doesn't want the throne. He wants to be a faithful servant, you know, do his part. And uh, he's blessed. He's blessed by the friendship of the king's son, Jonathan. He's blessed in so many ways. The Lord gives him victory as he goes out and he fights against the Philistines. And you just read the life of David. What a life of adventure it was. The victory over Goliath, you know, and and, and how it brought really a victory for Israel on that day because of what David did. David, he becomes king. He's the standard of all the kings of Israel. He's the only king, I mean, Solomon, because he was writing on the coattails of David. But, uh, you know, the kingdom of Israel was divided after the days of Solomon. The only reason it wasn't divided in Solomon's day, you guys know the text, is because God was gracious to David, not to Solomon, but to David for your father's sake. But you look at that, David, he becomes king, David, this mighty warrior, David, this worshiper of God, David, this man who dances before the ark of God, David, this man who has a heart after God, David, 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 a man of sin, David, a man of adultery, David, a man of murder. It's so strange. You look at the, but this is the whole package, isn't it? But David, David, you don't see him crying out saying, Lord, give me long life. He says, no, there's one thing I desire. I desire, I seek to be with you, Lord. I desire to be in your presence, Lord. I want to be with you. That's the heart of David. 
I think of Isaiah. You know, Isaiah prophetically, this prophet of God, he writes concerning the Messiah. The Messiah is coming. This is what he will do. This is how he will be. This is what his appearance will be like. Um, this will be his ministry. This is how the nation will treat him. They'll despise him. They'll treat him terribly. And you look at all of these things that are there. And, and, and Isaiah, he has an exhortation. Here's the exhortation. Let me read it to you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. That's an exhortation. That wasn't just for the Hebrews back then. That's for all people. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. You say it's impossible. Listen, God has put a void in every man and woman's heart. You feel empty? There's only one thing that will fill that void, and that's a relationship with the Lord through Jesus Christ. He's the, he is the answer. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous his thoughts. Let him return or turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Guys, we looked at this, remember last week when we looked at the words of, G, uh, of John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I talked about this quite a bit, the Lamb of God, what that meant to the Hebrew mind. It doesn't mean that to us. We look at it and we say, oh, that's just another title of Jesus. But for the Hebrew, they understood what the Lamb of God was. The Lamb of God, the sole purpose of the Lamb of God was to cover their sin, not take away. It couldn't take away but to cover their sin until the Messiah, the Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world comes upon the scene. All of those who lived before Christ lived by faith in the coming of Christ, the promised Messiah. He's the only one that could abundantly pardon. I hope you've placed your faith in him. I hope that you've, you're seeking him. You know, I think that uh, sometimes different isms, you know, I think of uh, Calvinism. It's an ism. You know what an ism is, don't you? You can't go to the first book of Calvin in your Bible or Arminian or any other ism. These are man's interpretation of interpreting the scriptures. This is what, the, what these isms are. And there are some, you know, within Calvinism, they would say, well, you can't do anything to be saved. And we would agree we can't do anything to be saved. But we can respond to the invitation. There's an invitation. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's an invitation. The whoever's, whosoever. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's an invitation. It's the whoever's. But see, if we, if we remove all human responsibility, and some isms, they want to do that, you know. Some isms, they want to put all the responsibility on humans, you know. Uh, we, we, we get ourselves saved. We keep ourselves saved, you know. That's not biblical. But neither is the other side where you did nothing, you know. If you even have a desire for the Lord, it's simply because the Lord put that desire within your heart. Some are chosen for salvation. Others are chosen for damnation. What a dangerous way to interpret the scriptures. 
the invitation goes out, the invitation still stands to this day. Seek the Lord while he may be found. We live in the age of grace. We live in the age of the Gentiles. The age of the Gentiles is going to end. When it ends, the focus of God's agenda will once again go back to Israel. Right now, he's dealing with the church. We are the church age. This is the age of grace. But after the Lord is done with this age, with this generation, he's going to focus once again on Israel. God's not done with Israel. You know that if you've come here for any amount of time. But I'll tell you, if you haven't placed your faith in Christ, you want to seek him, you want to call upon him, you want to surrender your life to him. In Amos chapter 5, Amos was a prophet, a country prophet. And he said, for thus says the Lord to the house of Israel. This is a plea to Israel. He says, seek me and live. So Jesus asked the question, who do you seek? Or what do you seek? Excuse me, I think it should be who. But what do you seek? And they said to him, where are you staying? So are you catching this? Follow this, please. It's very important. Where are you staying? Do you see what they're saying here? What do you seek? Where are you staying? Come and see. What are we seeking? We're seeking you. John's been talking about you. Every person that comes out to be baptized by John and us, his disciples, we would tell them, you know, this is in preparation for the coming one. Maybe they even said, this is in preparation for the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. Maybe they even said that. And these two disciples, they would be able to say, Lord, Where are you staying? Because wherever you're staying, that's where we're going. We're seeking you. It's not a what. It's it's, it's you. It's who. It's, It's you that we're seeking. We want to be with you. John talked about you. And so we want to be with you. And I'll tell you, there will not be satisfaction, even in the Christian's life, if we're not seeking the Lord. Guys, you know, I've used the illustration so many times. It's a weak illustration, but, you know, when Tracy and I were dating, I I fell hard for Tracy, my wife of 46 years almost, you know. And um, and, uh, we started dating, and uh, we started dating, I think, the week before her graduation from high school. And so... um, And right after she graduated from high school, within a few weeks, she was going to be going to Europe for a month. Her sister lived in Cannes, France. She was a ballet dancer, and she met a Frenchman there, and they married, or they were getting married, and that's why uh, Tracy and her parents were going to eventually kind of meet up together in France for the wedding. They would spend two weeks in France. But before then, Tracy was traveling for two weeks throughout Europe with uh, a friend of hers. And I'll tell you, that was hard. That was so hard. I, I missed her so much. And, uh, and I remember that when she would be gone, when she was gone, I would, I would read, I would reread her, her cards and her little love letters that she would write to me. 
You know, guys can be sentimental too, you know. And I would read these things over and over again. And, you know, maybe a cynic would say, come on, you know. You, you read it once. What are you going to get out of it? I don't know. But I know this. The author of these notes, these letters, I love. I love the author of this, these notes. And so I want to read these notes over and over again. I, I, it just... It just I just can't wait to be with them once again, with her, with him, you know, however it may be. And that's how I, I kind of see the word of God. I'm in relationship with the Lord. I'm in relationship with the author of the word of God. I am in relationship with the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm in covenant with him. He's done all the work. I'm just simply believing what I'm told about him. But I read his word, and as I'm reading his word, I'm seeking the author. As I'm reading the author, as he's, as he's describing his character, his nature, as he's showing us who he is and how he deals with humanity, the good things and also the bad things, and you look and you say, oh, he's so good. We love the author. And that's what a relationship with the Lord should be. It shouldn't just be, you know, I think of a pastor or Bible teacher or whatever, the only time they open the Bible is to, you know, prepare a, a, a message, a sermon or something like that. I'll tell you, you could only do that for so long and then you're going to eventually just dry up. There's no life because there's no real relationship. But usually what happens is when a man or woman who loves the Lord, who seeks the Lord, they're spending time with the Lord, with the author of, of, of this you know, wonderful Bible that we have, because they're in relationship with him, they're gleaning, they're gaining so much from him. Then when they speak to other people, they're simply able to speak what the Lord has revealed to them through the word of God. It's not extra biblical, it's biblical. But what makes it extra is the relationship between the reader, between the one seeking the Lord through the scriptures or through prayer and the Lord himself. The first recorded words of Jesus in John's gospel account, what do you seek? The second recorded words of Jesus, come and see, and they did. They came and they saw and they remained with him that day. I wish it was like that all the time. I wish we could say that everyone who's ever come to the Lord, you know, they, they've come, they've seen, and they remain, not just for a day, but they remain for good. I'm in relationship with him. You know, guys, we know, because we just read it, that Andrew, who, by the way, is seen three different times in John's Gospel account, and each time that Andrew is seen in John's Gospel account, He's bringing people to Jesus. Boy, there's some life application. First, he meets Jesus, and he comes, and he gets his brother, Simon, and he says emphatically, we found the Messiah. We found the Messiah. And you wonder, do you ever wonder how Peter might have responded? 
You know, we just kind of think that everyone just was in tune and everything. But we know, I mean, read the Bible, guys. Peter was not always in tune. He was not always in step with, with what was happening in the moment. And maybe even he was a bit cynical. We'll see another cynical disciple of Jesus next week. But, but he came. And he comes and, 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 and he's there. And, and Jesus is looking at him. And the word used there for, uh, uh, to, you know, to look Looking at him, it speaks of a, a uh, to observe fixedly or absolutely to discern fully. It speaks of an intense look. Have you ever been around people like that? They just kind of, it's not that they're staring you down. They're not trying to intimidate you. But it's almost as if they're kind of like reading something. They're seeing something in you. And I imagine that's what it was like when he met Jesus. Oh. I mentioned Andrew, you know, bringing people to Jesus. He brought his brother, of course. That's what we're looking at now. Later on in uh, chapter 6, we'll see that he brought a little lad to Jesus. Remember that? The little lad? Remember how his lunch became the lunch for 5,000 men? I guess plus women and children. And then later on, after Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, so John chapter 12, we see some Greeks. So they're, they're Greeks. Maybe they're proselytes to Judaism. They're there, you know. It's, it's the season. They're there in Jerusalem. And they want to see Jesus. And so Andrew says, Lord, there's some fellows that, they would like to meet with you. And remember, that's when Jesus said that, that parable about the, the grain of wheat that falls into the ground and dies and, and um, how it would produce fruit and all. When I look at that, I think that the Lord was simply saying, listen, a time is coming. The gospel is going to be opened up, not just to the Hebrew. The gospel is going to be opened up to the, to the Greeks, to the Gentiles, to all people. The gospel will be opened up. But first things first, this kernel of wheat, my body, will die. And the death will produce fruit. And then many will come, and there'll be much fruit. You know, guys, I believe that the second disciple who's not named gives us a hint in our text today. And I believe that the second disciple that's not mentioned by name was John the Beloved, John the author of, of this gospel account. And you might say, well, wait a minute, Dan, I'm looking at the same text you're looking at. You're reading into this. How, how, how can you say that that was? Because John the Beloved, apparently, meeting Jesus was so memorable for him that he remembered the time. Do you see it there? It was about the 10th hour. Guys, the gospel accounts were written, many of them were written long after Jesus had ascended to heaven. It wasn't like the next week they decided to sit down and I think I'll write an account. There were many years that, that had transpired. And I suggest to you that John, the author of this gospel account, that he is in his way, because we know his way, 
from his gospel account. Remember that John never refers to himself in the first person. Remember how John refers to himself in his gospel account as the one whom Jesus loved. And the one whom Jesus loved, that's another way of John saying, and me, I was there. This is my personal account. I love that about John. I don't think it was a prideful thing. I don't think that he was saying, you know, the Lord loved me more than others. John tells us, you know, that, that when they were there at the, the supper, at the Passover meal, remember Jesus was speaking to them some hard things. And, and John, remember, he's the one who, who leaned up against the breast of Jesus, which, by the way, totally blows away the Da Vinci picture, right? Because they're not sitting at a table lined up like that. They're reclining as the Hebrew people would do. Laying out feet behind you in a circle. And he just leaned back. He was the closest to Jesus. Is it I, Lord? I think that John was so moved by the fact that, that, that Jesus could love a man like him. You might be thinking, a man like him, what do you mean by that? Well, I don't know. We, we don't know for sure. We do know that, that just as Jesus gave Simon a new name, uh, Petros or Cephas or Peter, which translates a stone, he also gave James and John a nickname. Do you remember what their nickname was? Sons of Thunder. Do you ever wonder about that? I mean, it sounds like a biker group, you know? You almost picture these guys with their, you know, they call it their colors, you know? They, they got their, their leather jackets and Sons of Thunder, you know? <laughs> I don't know what they were doing, but it doesn't sound like, you know, something that you would call some, you know, subdued... <laughs> guys and you got to get the picture at least I do when I read through John's gospel account which, which again was written much later or his epistles because John just focuses on love John was so moved by love it's almost as if he could not help himself but writing about the love of God that was a focus for him but apparently you know there was something about him he was rambunctious Maybe it was when they suggested that the Lord, no, 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 remember. Lord, you don't do it, we'll do it. Would you like us to call down fire from heaven and consume this place? You almost wish the Lord would have stepped back and said, go for it. <laughs> you know I mean? Come on, you guys, you guys are so full of yourself. You really think you can call down fire from anywhere? Fire from that fireplace, you know. But there was this, this pride, there was this ego, and all of them struggled with it, just as we struggle with our pride. But I think that John was, in essence, saying, I was there, and I remember when I met the Lord, it was about the 10th hour. Do you remember when you came to faith in Christ? Was it memorable? Maybe you don't remember the hour. I don't remember the hour, but I remember the day. I could almost, I could almost in my memory, I could almost smell that summer day. I mean, it, was, it just was so real. And I mean, there was this life-changing experience that happened on that day. There was no denying that on that day, I became a new creature in Christ Jesus. 
I was so resistant. I was, I was so unwilling to, to acknowledge, you know, I was religious. So religious people are usually very prideful people. I was extremely prideful. I trusted in my, my religious upbringing, which will get you nowhere. And people would simply preach Christ to me. And that day was my day. I, I, you know, I don't know why it took so long. I'm glad that it, it didn't take any longer. You know, I had just turned 20 years old, 20 years of age. I was, Tracy and I were married for a year. And, uh, and it became apparent, I'll tell you, long before the first year was out that Tracy was different than I was. That Tracy had a relationship with someone that I didn't have a relationship with. Even though she compromised a lot to be with me. She didn't compromise in areas of her life, but she compromised just being married to me. But I'll tell you, you know, it wasn't until we moved to Northern California to Grass Valley and the very first people we met when we moved there happened to be Christians and, and uh, the fellow happened to be a contractor, a general contractor, and I happened to be a carpenter and I happened to be looking for work and he happened to hire me to work and they were Christians. He hired me and that night both of them were at our house for dinner. I mean, things just, you know, just happened so quickly. And I was so taken by the guy. He was so funny. He was hilarious. Just a funny guy. And his wife was just a sweet gal. But I, I saw before my eyes, I saw my wife change when she was in the presence of these two Christian people. Not in a bad way, in a wonderful way. But I, I because I was a non-believer and she was now yoked to me, you know, just... My very presence, in one sense, almost caused her to hide her light under a bushel or under a bed. But when we met this couple, I mean, it was almost like the light came out. And I remember thinking, these people have something that I don't have. But again, you know, pride, it, it will keep you from... But I'm so thankful for the day that I surrendered my life. It was just a few, maybe two weeks after that. Probably two weeks after that. And I've told this story so many times. You guys could retell it. But Tracy would bring home scripture. And, and she would share the gospel with me. And this is something I just really, I just didn't want. I just wanted to be married to my beautiful, blonde, Southern California girl. I didn't want her talking to me about Jesus. But someone flipped the switch. It was the Lord. And she's sharing the Lord with me. And I, I get mad at her. And I take the glass that I'm drinking from. And I chuck it up against the wall. And I cuss at her. And I say, you need to stop this. When I come home, I don't want to hear this stuff. And I'm sure that I wasn't using language like that, you know. 
And I walked out the door, slammed the door behind me. I mean, it was really a dramatic thing. And Tracy's picking up the glass that broke against the wall. And, you know, she's probably thinking, my husband is such a jerk. And I was. And I, I'm telling you, I did not get, I went, our house was on the corner. I got from our driveway to Torrey Pine Street, which is like right here. And I'm walking, broad daylight, and I begin to weep. And I just said, Lord, I know that you're real. And I keep hearing that I need to receive you as my Lord and Savior. I don't know what I said. Something like, I don't even know what that means, but I know that I need you. And it was almost as if the Lord, and again, I don't even remember the details, but it's almost like the Lord just said, I hear you. You're mine. And I didn't know it at the time, but I look at the scriptures, and there was this transaction that took place. And, and, and the Lord was placing his spirit, the same spirit who inspired the writers to write the Bible, the same spirit who rose Christ from the dead, he put his same spirit in me. And I came home. And Tracy's still cleaning up the mess. And I said, babe, I did it. And she's looking at me like, yeah, you did it, you jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I surrender my life to the Lord. And I'll tell you, I, you know, she was not jumping up and down with joy, you know. But I think that she realized very quickly there's been a change. And I'm so thankful for that. Peter, Andrew's brother, is brought by Andrew because that's what people who meet Jesus do. We've met the Christ. We've met the Messiah. Peter, come on. Come and see for yourself. When you see him, when you hear him, you'll know that it's him. That's what we do, right? Do you remember when you first got saved? I was thinking of this last night. I I wish that I had the zeal that I had when I first got saved. When I first got saved, everyone I came into contact with, I, I would share the gospel with them. I still would occasionally hitchhike. And now I would do what they used to do to me. I would share the gospel when I was in their car with people. And I shared the gospel with my parents. And I shared the gospel with, you know, my friends. And, and, and we just wanted to see people saved. And, and, and there was just this desire. And it's like that kind of, it dulls after a while. You live your life. And, and maybe it's because you just don't know that many non-believers anymore. Which isn't good. We should know non-believers. We should get to know non-believers. I want to end with this. The name change, what was that all about? Son of Jonah. What do you think of when you think of Jonah? Now, I'm not saying that he was the son of that Jonah, but what do you think of what do you think of Jonah? Rebellion, someone sinking. Remember when Peter, you know, Lord, if that's you, call me out so that I can walk on the water too. Go, 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 go. <laughs> oh, Jonah, I mean, Peter, you know. You have little faith. I mean, do we blame him? Oh, gosh, I, 
I would, in my personality, I never would have said, Lord, call me out to you. I didn't say, Lord, I'm going to sit here. Why don't you come in the boat, you know? The name change. Peter. He was, his personality was larger than life. He obviously was a leader among his peers. When he said something, they probably all perked up and said, sounds good to me, Peter, let's go do it. We see this at the end of John's gospel. Remember, who said I'm going fishing? Peter said I'm going fishing. They said, we'll come too. We'll come with you, Peter. Whatever you think. Jesus is gone. You're our leader now. I'm reading into it. But it kind of seems that way. And then there's Jesus on the shore and he's cooking breakfast and he doesn't even have a net or a boat or a fishing pole and there's already fish there. And he says, little children, there's only one that could call grown men, fishermen, little children, and that's Jesus. Have you caught anything? Peter says, it's the Lord. And he puts on his clothes it seems different for us. We would probably take off clothes. So it's not weighing us down. He put on his clothes and he jumps in. And, and you kind of have this burst of enthusiasm. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Where are you going, Peter? Remember what you did? You denied that you even knew him, Peter. I almost picture Peter slowing up a little bit. Slowing up to the fact that the boat finally catches up and passes Peter and then they get out of the boat and everything and their net of course what is it 153 fish how do we know that well obviously Peter was distracting himself so he didn't have to look at those eyes that face that looks absolutely he wanted to avoid the Peter Do you love me more than these? Lord, do we have to go there? I don't want to go there. Peter, Peter, he's he's not real solid, spiritually speaking. Can you identify with that? Peter, he's... uh, He's kind of a stumbling block to himself, spiritually speaking. You know, he thinks more highly of himself than he ought to. And then when he falls, it's, it's just that much harder and that much further. But the Lord, in the name change, I think that the Lord may have been saying to Peter, through this name change, and again, you know how, guys, when you walk with the Lord, things don't mean much in the moment. But with longevity, as you look back and you say, oh, oh, that's, now I see it. Now I understand. And I wonder if the name change was the Lord saying, in essence, to Peter, Peter, listen, you're going to fail. You're going to fall. You're going to regret. You're going to weep. You're going to get to a point where you're convinced that you'll never, ever be used by me. But Peter, (laughs) you're going to become a solid rock. 
Peter, you're going to be grounded. Peter, you're going to become a pillar with the others. Not greater than, but among them. So here's the life application at the end of this. You guys could come up. Do you ever feel like God can't use you because of all of your failures? You have this long list of failures. And, and I'll tell you, uh, your flesh and your enemy, the devil, will, 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 they just love adding to the list of your failures. And God will never use you because of this and because of that. And you're a loser and you're a loser and you're a loser. And here's the problem that many of us, listen, because we're not, what do you seek? What do you seek? Who do you seek? Because we're not seeking the Lord. Just that quiet in prayer, reading his word, so that the Lord is speaking to us and not our own mind, our own thoughts, or the enemy. Many times we defeat ourselves I think of how many people have put themselves on the shelf. God can never use me because failure. But guys, the Lord is the one who began the work and he's the one who promises to finish the work. And we need to be people who just simply do our part. What's our part? Our part is the fun part. Seek him. Commune with him. Abide in him. Be with him. I want to be with you, Lord. I just want to be with you. And as we are, he does this miraculous work of transformation in our hearts. We're never going to be, you know, (laughs) the finished product until we're in his presence. But the Lord loves to use broken vessels. Why? Because he gets the glory. He gets the glory. There's no boasting. We can't boast about our salvation because it's, you know, his work. And really, we can't boast about our usefulness. In one sense, guys, because I don't want to take away the human responsibility. In one sense, you come to the end of your life. There you are on your deathbed. Your grandchild says to you, Grandma, Papa, what was your secret? You served the Lord all of your days. What was the secret? And you could say, I sought to abide. That's our part. Seek to abide. And as you abide in him, see what the Lord does in your life. I, uh, I don't have time to read it, but I was telling the folks, I, AJ gave me this. I, he knows I love Vance Havner, and he gave me this holy desperation, and I've just been enjoying this so much. And uh, Vance Havner talked about going to a, a Moody, so that's D.L. Moody. They weren't contemporaries. He lived after D.L. Moody, uh, long after, but... But he went to a a Moody's Founder Week, and he said that the auditorium was full of people, as it always is. And he said there were students there, and there were older people there. And when he got up into the pulpit, he just felt this yearning upon his heart to speak, not to the students that day, but to the older folks. And he said, how many of you 
women were called to be missionaries and you never went? How many of you men were called to be preachers and you never preached? And he was just kind of talking in that line for, for a period of time. And then, and then he asked for a response. He says, I want you to raise your hand if you, if you were called to be a missionary or you were called to be a preacher. Now, guys, you need to understand, when he talks about being a preacher, Vince Havner did not pastor a church. He was a traveling preacher. From place to place, location to location. He did, I mean, that was his life. So he's not saying to be a pastor, he's just simply saying to preach. And he said that he was amazed by the sincere response and all of the hands that went up. And then he exhorted the people, and he says, it's not too late. It's not too late. You know, guys, we could look at the wasted years behind us, and we could use that as an excuse for not serving the Lord today or tomorrow or you know, into the future. Or we could say, those things don't matter. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I'm going to serve the Lord. Lord, what, what do you have for me? Lord, what do you want me to do? And that we would pursue him. And I'll tell you, we do this, listen, guys, not because it keeps us safe, but it's to his glory. That's what it's for. It's to his glory. Because one day we'll stand before the Lord or kneel before the Lord or fall on our faces before the Lord. Say, worthy, worthy is the Lord. As we're casting our crowns before him. So stand with me, please. Lord, we pray that if there are any here or downstairs or listening online that have not received you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, we pray that we take to heart if we confess with our mouth that you are Lord. We believe that you were raised from the dead that we believe the good news of the gospel, really just John 3.16, that we will be saved, that it's really that simple. And then the adventure of walking and seeking you begins. So Lord, help us who have placed our faith in you to be men and women who seek after you. Help us to be light. Help us to bring people to you, Lord who need you so desperately. Pray that if there's anyone here that's so discouraged because of their failure, Lord, would you please break that, that, that just kind of that bondage of that lie, that they would just say, no, no, but Christ, but Christ, but Christ, but Christ. And that they would not see themselves outside of you. If, if they're believers, that they'd not see themselves outside of you, but they'd see themselves in you, in Christ. I'm clothed with the righteousness of Christ. I'm in Christ.